Today we conclude section one with the final chapter, Bechelke Habrio Umatzevehem, the sections of reality, how creation is composed and its respective states. So we're going to break down on the biggest scale possible, zooming out, analyzing what are the components of reality. So let's start. Number one, Chelke Klal Habriahem. The portions of reality are as follows. Two categories. Let's split it into two. Gashmiim v'ruchaniim. There's physicality, physical things, and spirituality. The physical things are things, obviously, that are tangible, things that we can sense. And that also is divided. Physicality is divided into two categories. There are the upper realms and the lower realms. What are the upper realms in physicality? That's the celestial world. The galaxies and their stars and planetary bodies. The lower realm. That's everything that's included within, I guess, what we'll call Earth's atmosphere. Hmm. Do you know if there's a reason he, he divided it there? The upper realms and the lower realms. There is a reason. There's okay. a significant difference between what's within our atmosphere and everything that's beyond it. Mm-hmm. But he's not going to explain that now, but he will later on in the book. So there will be a significance that we'll give into that. We'll okay. understand it more at a later date. So within our atmosphere, he means that's the earth itself and the water that covers the earth and the air around. And everything contained there within from tangible bodies. That's physicality. Secondly, we broke it into spirituality. These are creations that have no element of physicality whatsoever. Things that are intangible. And by the way, before we go further, you see that that's not really a definition of anything. All he's saying is it's not physical. There's physical, and then there's what he called spirituality, but in his description of it, really only said that it's not physical. It's the stuff we can't see, feel, define, all all that, everything else. Right, which isn't really a description at all. Right. Uh, but there's an important point for that. It's not because it can't be described or it can't be known. It can, and we have traditions for them. But in terms of what we can relate to, it's important to understand that there's nothing, there is no precedent that we can relate to ah. in the spiritual world. And so therefore, anything that we would try to understand about the spiritual world, we would have to incorrectly superimpose our knowledge of physicality onto it. Right, that makes sense. And so therefore, the first thing that we should know about spirituality is that it's nothing that we know. Mm. <laughs> for, in, for example, you know, you have a blind man who he could theoretically understand that there's a color called red and there's another color called blue. And you could describe the properties of them. You could describe things like wavelengths of, of light. Hmm. But he won't really know what it's like to experience red or blue or, or really what it means on a tangible level right. because the concept is beyond his capacity to even process. So... That's the first thing that we need to know about spirituality. We operate in the physical world, and we do not have direct access to perception of spiritual things. 
And so, at least on this level, the first thing is it's not physical. It's divided into two categories, the spiritual creations. The first category, and a category in of its own, is the soul, the human soul. And the second category is basically everything else, nivdalim. He uses this word nivdalim, which literally means separates, things that are disparate. Um, and presumably, he uses that word because that, that's a relative word, right? Separate from what? Separate from the neshama or separate from each other in the category? So I think what he means by this word is they are separate from physicality. They're detached from this world. Okay. And we just relate spiritual entities, right? Non-physical things. So there's the soul, which also is that, but we have a name for it that we really Okay, so that's important enough to have its own category. Right. And the other category, we'll we'll break down that in a second as well, these nivdal and the separate ones. But we're, as of now, one general category, spiritual entities, they're called separates. Hanashama is, hey min nivroim ruchanim. The soul, the reason why he's dividing already at this stage all spiritual entities into two categories, putting the human soul in one category and everything else in the separate category, is that there's one fundamental difference between the two. And that is that the soul, although it is purely spiritual, there is no aspect of physicality to it whatsoever. However, it was created destined to enter into a physical body, to be tied to it. And to act and operate within the physical world and bound within time. Whereas the other spiritual entities, the separates, they are also spiritual creations. However, but they are not destined to interact directly with physicality at all. And that category, Nivdalim, is further divided into two categories. The first category is called which translates to powers, abilities, forces, something like that. We'll call them powers for now. Okay. The Hasheni and the second category, subcategory, is Malachim, which we would translate into English as angels. But an interesting thing to note is that the etymology of the word angel, it really comes from the Greek word for messenger. And I can only assume that that's the case because in the Bible, in the Torah, which is written in this Hebrew, the word for an angel, Malach, really means a messenger. That is the root meaning of the word. And so therefore, what the concept of an angel really is, first of all, they, they don't look like anything. That's an important thing to know. They, in, they intrinsically don't look like anything because they have no physical appearance whatsoever. Okay. But what they are is they are emissaries. They are agents. It's a spiritual entity was created expressly for the purpose of carrying out some task. So that's their job. We have kochos, these powers that represent inherent forces in reality. And there are malachim, these agents that are tasked with carrying out their okay. roles. Let me, let me make sure that I'm tracking so far. All of reality is divided into 
two sections. It's the physical and the spiritual. On the physical side, we can break it into two sections. It is the upper and lower physicals, the upper being the sun, the moon, the stars, everything outside the earth, and the lower being the earth itself and everything within the atmosphere. Good so far. Spiritual side of things, we divide that into two categories, and it is, let me see if I can remember this, it's going to be the neshama, the soul, and then the separates. I don't remember the word. Nivdalim. Nivdalim. And the separates are divided into two further categories. These things we're calling powers or forces and angels. That's it. Now, vegam hey mimalus rabbis v'shaynos. These, all of these nivdalim, the kochos and the malachim, these powers and angels, all of them, they have varying degrees of value. There's a hierarchy to these powers. And they have natural laws that are built into their into their essence. Each according to their level. To the point where we can really divide even the category of angels into many subcategories and species of angels, so to speak. And they each have their own laws that govern them. Now, he's not describing what any of these are, what the laws are in any of these subspecies, but he keeps pointing this out over and over again that there are laws to these things, there are rules, uh, without telling us what they are. And that doesn't mean, again, that we don't know what the rules are at all. We do have a tradition for these, and if you investigate the Kabbalistic text, you can find pages upon pages and pages of descriptions of the breakdown of the hierarchy of spiritual forces. Uh, but it's not necessary for us to know that in order to get this conceptual framework, which is the goal of this book. What he really wants to stress to us and get across is that there is a system. So we shouldn't think that the physical world feels real to us. We understand that there's physics, there's chemistry, and mm-hmm. you know all of these. It operates according to very strict rules. We can predict some things. Right. And it seem, and, and it's ordered and structured and rational and logical. Right. And we tend to think of the spiritual world as being chaotic. Uh, you know, all the heebie-jeebie Or at stuff. least that uh, if there's a pattern, it's indiscernible. I think a lot of people don't recognize that there is a pattern at all or wouldn't, maybe wouldn't assume that there should be a pattern mm-hmm. or that there should be rules for any of these things. There's a lot of, uh, you know, spooky spiritual stuff when people use the word spiritual it's kind of associated with like undefined you know non-rational non-logical things right and what he's getting trying to get across to us is that the spiritual world is very logical and rational and ruled by a set of metaphysics that are very strict just like this world and we should just be aware that that's in place he's not getting into how the system operates but there is a system, and we should be aware of that. Okay. Ve'ulam. Now, nimtza min echod shel hanivroim, shehu kamei emtsoi bein ruchoni v'gashmi. There is a, an entity that exists kind of in the middle, between spirituality and physicality. Hainu sheba emes einu murgash michusheinu. The truthfully, it's not tangible. We can't really perceive it directly with our senses. Ve'gam einu nigbal b'chol gevulei hagashem hamurgash v'chukov. 
And also it's not embodied with any sort of real physical vessel that could be sensed. And because of that, it's called somewhat inaccurately spiritual. But it's really not spiritual. But it is different than an angel. Even though it's similar with regard to some elements. And it does have its own laws and boundaries, according to its nature. This is called shedim. Now, there, there is some lore that some people from modern Western culture might be familiar with called a shade. Uh, mm. It comes from this concept. If you're not familiar with that, maybe the term demon might be... Demon has a bit more negative connotation, I think. It does. It does have a negative connotation. And these shadim, sometimes they are negative. Sometimes they're harmful. Um, but it definitely is not a minion of Satan or something like that, right? It's, uh, it's a not creature... Not inherently evil? I'm, I'm not sure. Right. Some of them are, are dangerous mm -hmm. and will try to attack things that are good. And so in that sense, I guess they could be considered bad. Okay. Uh, some of them aren't. I don't know. And there's not a lot spoken about you know, classifying them. Although there's, it seems to be an inordinate amount of discussion about them in the Talmud. Uh, nowadays, we don't, we don't really deal with this stuff. There is a reason for that. The general idea is that these creatures are threatened and intimidated by great spiritual power. And in, in our generation, we have become spiritually diluted, one generation after the next, to the point where nowadays these creatures are just... They don't bother with us. They're not interested. <laughs> they're not threatened, and, and therefore they've become practically irrelevant. And so although it might be a matter of curiosity and intrigue to discuss them and learn about them, uh, it's not really relevant to our lives. Mm. So he's presenting them here because it is part of the universe. It's part of reality. It's built in, and we should be aware that it does exist. But don't worry about it. Don't shouldn't give you nightmares. We're going to go, go on with our lives and living with God. But he does say, they are also divided, these shadim are divided into different categories, that they can really establish their own category of existence, and they have species and subspecies. However, they are very different than the human. That the human being is composed of two different elements, which is the elevated and holy soul and the lowly body. So two extreme examples. The neshama is from the highest of spiritual creations. The physical body that we operate within is from the lowest of physicality. And this is unique to the human being. This does not exist in any other creature. So these shading that we mentioned, even though we said they're kind of in between physicality and spirituality, that's not to say that they have both. 
their essence is something that kind of bridges the gap, but it's still one thing. Right. That actually, that makes perfect sense. Right. As opposed to the human being, which is made up of two disparate elements that are very clearly in their own category, physicality and spirituality. One other thing that he comes to address is that we shouldn't be confused and think that animals are like the human being. We shouldn't think that animals are like the human being. I was driving, I was on a road trip recently and we passed a veterinarian clinic and it said the name of the clinic was Pets Are People Too. <laughs> and my wife and I were just shaking our heads. No, <laughs> pets are not people. I know you like your pets, but it's not a human being. Some See, people even love their pets. Sure. And it's, you know, I'm not, we're not judging anyone, <laughs> but we should know the truth is that they are very different than the human being. But why would a person think that an animal is like a human, aside from the fact that for a pet, they might have an emotional relationship to it? We're not talking about that. It's the fact that an animal is alive. Right. It's, it breathes and it's animated. And so you might think that's a soul. Well, we see to some extent it has emotions uh, right. that, that, you know, to some extent, lesser extent, kind of mimic ours. Right. It definitely appears that way. Now, whatever that is, he's saying that comes from what's called the nefesh. And the nefesh is sometimes translated as the soul, but he, he makes a very clear distinction here that the nefesh, although people might in English call it the soul, it's not real spirituality, like we were discussing before, the neshama is the true word for soul, and that is a spiritual entity. An exclusively human thing. Yes. An animal has a nefesh, which this nefesh, this kind of spirit, this animating life force, although it might seem to us to be spiritual because you can't really touch it and you can't examine it and test it. However, he says that it is physicality. It's just that it's the most ethereal form of physicality that exists. Okay. Yeah, well, it's definitely the part that's, if that's the spark that creates life, we can, we can definitely put carbons together or hydrocarbons together and we can't make something be alive. There's a spark that eludes us right. uh, that we don't really understand. So it sounds like that's the nefesh. It is. It's the nefesh. And uh, I'm, I'm going to venture out here. I've, I haven't heard this officially, but there are other cultures um, I've studied a little bit of Chinese medicine, and there's a concept I'm sure many people are familiar with called qi. The qi in Chinese culture is this kind of like the body's energy. Mm. And from what I've learned from Chinese culture and Chinese medicine, it seems very much like the same idea as the nefesh. So this concept does show up in other cultures as well. And he makes that point. It's not just animals. We find that the nefesh comes up in a person as well. But that's with regard to a person having an animal element to him. But without all that, a human being also has a neshama, which is a purely spiritual entity. It's its own creature. It's its own entity, nivdal min haguf, that is completely disparate from the body, and, and not just separate and disparate, but the farthest that could possibly be in terms of essence. Opposite ends of the spectrum, exactly. 
that it came down and was tied into the body by Hashem's decree, by God's decree. According to, you know, for, for the reasons that we've mentioned earlier in this podcast. Number two. So we've spoken a little bit about the spiritual elements of things. When it comes to physicality, so these things are known to us, ostensibly. And the laws of physical nature are studied, at least. You know, we have biology and chemistry and physics, and we study the physical world, so we don't need to speak about that here. But the spiritual things, we have no context for which to speak about it properly. Again, like the, the analogy of the blind describing different colors. There's just no precedent for us to be able to even speak about it. It's beyond our even capacity to imagine. But we do have a system for discussing these things. It's as a matter of tradition, but it can't be directly perceived within this world. Does he elaborate on that? I don't, I don't know what you mean by as a matter of tradition. Uh, from Torah tradition. Okay. We have things that were passed down by prophets that, right, this information okay. was given to us by Hashem through the right. Torah, and we know that these systems of spirituality okay. exist, but we can at least intellectualize the, the concept. Okay, so we have a method of trying to discuss it, and it's just going to be inadequate because we can't truly experience this stuff. Right, it's inevitably inadequate. And, but when once you know that, then... A lot of, yeah, a lot of things start to <laughs> make a little bit more sense. Among the greatest principles that we have, here's a very important point. Not only is there a physical world and a spiritual world, and they're different, but they're connected, and not only are they connected, but it's an intimate causative relationship. The spiritual world is the cause and the physical world is the effect. And this is a this is a big paradigm shift for anyone who hasn't studied these things because naturally if you're born into this world, which we all are, we tend to think of this reality as primary. And maybe you believe that there's spirituality Right? There's like this heebie-jeebie world out there, and maybe there's a spiritual realm and an but element. But you have the option to believe in it because it's so much less significant, right? It's less It's not, right, it's imperceptible, and it's theoretical. Mm. Um, and so it seems less real. But also, even if you believe 100% that it's real, it still seems ancillary, secondary yeah. to this world. But the truth is that it's the opposite. That world is primary. That's the real world. And this world shows up as a manifestation of that. From the spiritual world, from these kochos, these powers, the separates, from those powers drags down through layers of reality like a chain and manifests in this world. The way God set up the world is that the source shows up up there 
That's where things operate. And it manifests in the branches that come up down here. It comes out that the things that we recognize as we would perceive as real are really just branches and outcomes of what's happening with these powers, spiritual powers. And they're tied to each other like links in a chain. And that's an interesting analogy. It's not a rope. It's links in a chain. So there are different levels. Each one links into the next, and energy flows through one channel to the next, manifesting down in this world. We also have a tradition. We have a tradition that on every being, that exists in this world, every bone, every action that takes place, any event. Corresponding to that, there is an appointed spiritual force, a malach, an angel, over it. And again, if we remember, these angels are emissaries. They're facilitating tasks. So anything that's showing up here in this world is a result of something carrying that out. Every discrete thing has its own angel. Yes, because the angel, we think of angels as humanoid things with wings because we're so brainwashed by <laughs> yes. all kinds of false imagery. But the truth is, it's, you know, it's like this. You go to a movie theater and you're looking at the screen and it looks like the movie is showing up there on the screen, that that's where the movie is. Yeah. But everyone knows that that's not where it is. The source is the film that has light being shown through it the projector. up in the projector box, mm. right? And it manifests and shows up right there on the big screen. So it looks like that's where it is, but that's really just a projection. So there needs to be something facilitating that. There are photons carrying information. I don't know how to say this. It's probably a bad analogy to say it like that, but... There is something facilitating each individual portion of that picture that you're seeing that's showing up on the screen. So too here in this world, anything that happens here is a result of something happening in the higher realms, in those forces, those kohos. And in order for them to show up here, there is an appointed malach, an emissary, an angel that's carrying it out. Does that make sense? Yes. And is renewing what needs to be renewed down here in this world, constantly showing up. Again, just very similar to that analogy with the movie theater. You don't have to destroy the picture on the screen in order for it to go away. All you have to do is shut off the camera. I mean, some it needs to be constantly projected. Yeah. It's not like it's there, like you sent something there. It's con- At every moment, something's happening anew. So at every moment, there's something happening. Something's being facilitated. It's being every- created. Yes. The, the world we live in is constantly in a state of being created. This is actually something that we say in one of our morning blessings, in the morning services, that Hashem is renewing and creating the world at every moment. That's cool. That analogy just put it into perspective a little bit better. So, number three, 
So this is something that we've already mentioned, is that the primary reality of the world and its state, where things are really happening, is in the kochos, in the powers. By the way, this might help to conceptualize a little bit. The Hebrew words over here that he's using, kochos, which means, which I'm translating as power, it also is the same word for potential. So if something is bikoach, if it's in power, in Hebrew that means that it's potential. Hmm. It hasn't come to fruition or actualization yet. So it, it, it's there, it exists, it's, it's the cause, it's the root of whatever's happening, it's just yet to be actualized. Sidebar, but in, in physics, we quantity that is potential or the dimension of or the the unit of potential i should say is voltage well it's it's different from potential energy but voltage is used to motivate electrons basically oh wow so this applies this relationship the cause effect relationship of spirituality and physicality that's true whether we're talking about the initialization of physicality coming into existence or its constant renewal. That according to the creation of these kochos, these forces, and according to the way they're ordered and the way they're defined, so too is how they exert their influence and it channels down through this chain of energy and shows up in this world. Whatever shows up in them, that's what shows up down here in this world. So reality, the existence of something and its state and its order with relation to the system that it is in, the context that it exists within. And ev every other element that exists within these kochos, these spiritual powers, they are all in accordance with how they are designed. And so too, the metzius v'amatzav so too the existence and state and order and everything that happens here, with down here in this world, it is drawn down from those, right? So it's not just a coincidence, even, that there happens to be an alignment of spirituality and physicality. It's not even an alignment. It is simply the manifestation of spiritual potential. That's what this world is. So everything that happens in the physical world is because of the effect of the spiritual potential. It is a manifestation of what is happening in the spiritual world. Yeah. Okay. All right. So there's one thing that seems like it, it has to be asked here, which is that if the entire physical world is a manifestation of the things that are occurring within the spiritual world, where does that leave room for us to interact with the physical world and our free will? Because we can, we've already explained that we can't perceive the spiritual so we only interact with the physical. Hmm. It's an excellent question. 
th this is a classic philosophical debate, free will versus determinism. Mm. And the system that we've been setting up until now is purely deterministic. I mean, literally deterministic. Everything that happens within this world is determined by what's happening in the spiritual realm. And you're right, we only operate within this world, which is just on the screen. How can we affect the source code? Yeah. Excellent question. That's our next topic. Number four. Vihine, lefi according to this principle, techilas kol the beginning of all things, all existence, occurs above in the higher powers. The soifam lamato. And the end of all things, its manifestation is down here. Omnum, however, prat echod There is one exception to this rule. And that's what's relevant to the free will of man. That since it's Hashem's will, Hashem's desire, that man has the ability to choose whatever he wants between good and evil, in order for man to have that ability, that ability must be independent of the system. It has to, right? There cannot be any cause for my will. Exactly. Yeah. Otherwise, they wouldn't be my will. Ba'adarabah, <laughs> just the opposite. God gave man the ability to move the world. Not only are we not moved by the world, we have the ability to affect it. According to what we choose with our will. So now it comes out that there are two fundamental forces that operate within reality. The first one is nature, the imposed nature. And the second force is the force of will. The first one is from above to below. That's the nature. The second one goes from below to above. The imposed force is that which moves the physical world based on what's happening in the spiritual realms, as we've been describing earlier. That's what comes from above to below. The will force is that which man can move the world using his will. However, man cannot directly affect the spiritual realm. As you said, mm -hmm. we exist down here, we operate here, and we can only interact with the physical world. As we've mentioned in earlier chapters, it needs to be like that. And so is the will tied directly to the neshama? Like there's no will or free will with other animals? The will is manifest with the fusion of the body and the soul. Okay, so a neshama is a necessary component, rather, is probably a better way to... Absolutely. Phrase. Okay. Because man is physical and his actions are physical, we operate here. But because of the bond that joins together the higher realms and the physical world. We 
we can affect the spiritual realm because there is a connection, because they are linked. So if we move the lower world, that can affect the higher world. It goes up the chain. So that's what comes out, that our will force goes from below to above. We start moving things in the physical world using our free will. Right? This isn't just taking your body and hitting a tree because an animal can also, quote-unquote, move the physical world. Mm-hmm. Right? This is moving on a more conceptual level. We're affecting. So we, we move the marionette and affect the puppet master. Well, you can't, you can't move it directly from above. We can shake the chain from down below. Okay. But that's different than anything else because anything else, an animal can move a plant as it walks by it, but the reason the animal moved is also a result of what's happening above. Yeah. So everything that shows up here, even though the world seems to be interacting with itself down here, it's all an effect of the cause that starts above. Yeah. But we have an ability to operate outside of the system. And there are actions that we can do to affect the physical world that don't come, that don't originate from the higher realm. It originates from us. The matrix didn't predict it. Yeah. So, <laughs> right. There was one who was born outside. Right? That, that's us. We were born outside of the system and we we're given the ability to operate from the outside within. And so we, we start from in, in his system from below to above. Now, you have to know. Man himself, not all of our actions are free will actions. In fact, he doesn't go into this right now, but the truth is that some free will actions are few and far between. There are some things that happen to us because of free will, and there are some things that happen to us because it was decreed from above. Maybe for our benefit, for our reward, or for our punishment. I'm going to put quotes around that, reward and punishment. We'll discuss later on in this book these concepts of reward and punishment. So let's leave that aside for now. Mm. That which comes down to us because of this decree. Starts from above, comes down to below. That operates just like anything else in the world that starts from above and below, just like animals and any other elements of creation. According to how these kochos, these spiritual powers are operating, that's what shows up here, that affects us as well. However, things that originate from our will, those movements, that force originates from below, it goes to above, as we've explained. So his point here, his last point is just that we have the ability to experience both forces. We are affected and we can also affect. Hmm. Number five. Hashem arranged that any matters that fall within the realm of our free will, with that force of will, we can indirectly affect these kochos, these higher powers. And also there are, again, rules that govern these things, each one in accordance to its power and to its level of our free will. 
However, it's not only our physical actions that has the ability to do this. But even our speech has the ability to affect the higher realms and even our thoughts when it's relevant to our free will. But the, the ability that we have to affect things and to what extent is limited and bound by the rules that were established by Hashem. So we don't have unbridled power over reality. The creator of the universe did give certain limitations to our ability to affect things. Okay, so even if we learned the best possible way to affect things, right? That yeah, that God's still in control. Makes sense. Number six. Now, here's, here's the thing. We did say that our free will force moves in the opposite direction as the nature force. The nature force starts above and comes down to below, manifests mm-hmm. here. Our free will force works the opposite way. Now, even though that's true, once we do affect the higher realm, the higher realm, those kochos, those powers being affected will also generate an effect down here below. Mm. So there, there's a doubled effect here. We shake the world down here. That goes up and has an effect in those spiritual realms. Once those are affected, they will then reverberate back down and manifest here in the physical world in accordance with that. Which is what I just said. Again, there are a complex set of rules that govern all of these things. According to the way Hashem designed reality to the depth of His wisdom. That it should be appropriate for the way creation is designed and to what degree things can be affected. Whether that be a force that originates from man affecting the higher realm, or the opposite, going from above to below. According to these deep secrets, according to these secrets of how reality truly operates, that's how everything within existence truly works, anything that ever was and everything that ever will be. Number seven. Now, here's, here's, we're going to get a little bit deeper. We mentioned earlier in this book that there's something called good and bad, and that's the purpose of being here. The beginning of this topic of good and evil, there needs to be some system for that, how it functions, how it manifests and operates. And that occurs in these higher forces, these higher realms, kochos. And after those get affected, that's what shows up down here. Hashem arranged a system that these powers above, they are the roots for everything that is created, as we've mentioned. 
in an order that things can be affected in the most appropriate way, tikkun vikilkol, that means the repair of things, the rectification of elements of reality, and conversely, its destruction. So what that really means is good and not good. These concepts of good and evil. Now we're, we're just understanding on a more technical level what that really means. We're talking about these forces, these basic elements of reality operating in a functional way or not. That's good and not good. The state of good, what good truthfully is in this world, is a state of functionality where, quote-unquote, light from God, right? The perception, the revelation of God's presence can be facilitated through that channel. If it's functioning properly, that's called good. Ha'oras panav, exactly. And that's that's what shows up as good in this world. And the opposite, the opposite is that this light does not have access mm. to this channel because the channel isn't functioning properly, it's damaged, it's uh, wires, wires are crossed, whatever. It, We're just not paying attention. Well, us not paying attention is a way that we can affect the higher realm. Okay. Right, but we're talking on a very technical level here. Yeah. What's really happening when bad shows up is there's a a lack of functionality, which really means a blockage of light mm-hmm. that's in the higher realms. And the the ramifications, the consequences of good is this light functioning in these higher realms that shows up down here in this world as things that are perceptibly good. And the opposite is the opposite. Number eight, v'tzorich sheteda, and you ha- and you must know, kihine afal pishe be'emes sibas kol inyani hatoyv bechol malkum shem, even though, truthfully, the source, the cause of anything that's good, wherever it may show up, perush bein bekoiches bein batoday seim, whether that be in the potential in the spiritual realm or its consequence down here in the physical realm. This is what you just mentioned. That is ha'aras panav. That is all a result of Hashem's presence being revealed, Hashem's presence being facilitated. And the cause of evil, ra, wherever it shows up, is the concealment of his light, of his presence. Amnam. Now, latoiv. Things that show up as good, there is what we would call truly a cause for it, something that you can point to. There's really light coming down, again, spiritual light coming down through these channels, and there are rules that govern it, and it has a more intrinsic reality to it. That's for good. When it comes to evil, we run into a problem here. Hashem doesn't attribute a true cause to what shows up down here as evil. We have to understand this. This might be a little bit of a of a difficult point, but let's we'll do our best. Hashem doesn't do bad things. 
anything that comes from Hashem by definition is good mm. because that is essence, it's truth, it's reality. It's, that's what how we relate to Hashem. Hashem's presence being channeled into this world is only good. So evil does not come from Hashem. What evil is, is the absence of Hashem's presence. And that's not a thing. It's an absence. It's a lack. That's the true cause of evil. It's the absence of good. But when it comes down to the, the reality of evil, because it is a thing that we can perceive, God who is omnipotent. And he points this out and he says in a few ways, he's omnipotent. There's nothing preventing him. And there is no limit to his power whatsoever. So he's really stressing this. God is all-powerful and omnipotent and therefore has the ability to do this. Hashem created, fabricated, an artificial construct, a source which corresponds to this absence. A source as in a spiritual source. Right, in the higher realms as well. Mm. But that manifests and shows up down here as evil. That we what we perceive of as evil, the true cause of that is the absence of Hashem's presence. But here's the thing. You can't perceive absence okay, okay this is i want to i want to get to this real quick because this is a oh man this is this is hard to even like hold together in my mind all at once um so hester panov the absence of uh, or the hiddenness of his countenance mm. um that is where we get all the evil in the world however what it's what he's saying what the ramchal is saying is that the absence of God would just be nothingness. It, right. the, there is an actual evil that we perceive. And so where does that come from? Right. There's no real cause for it. The quote-unquote cause is a lack of a cause. Mm -hmm. It's a lack of any sort of existence or but presence. But we perceive something very real Nevertheless, in the Nevertheless, it shows up, right. So right. where does that come from? So he created a created an artificial source corresponding to that absence. And this was created perfectly in order to facilitate exactly what we need here in this world in order to live with evil and, and interact with okay, it. Okay, so this is that's my next that was my next question is why, but he's saying kind of kind of broadly, this is God in his wisdom it's doing this to facilitate the ultimate goal. Right. We know why. We've we've seen the earlier chapters. We need to be placed in the balance of good and evil and choose good. This verse comes from Yeshayahu, Isaiah. And I'll, I'll translate it, but we got to break it down a little bit into the Hebrew words so that we can really understand the connotation. He says, he forms light and creates darkness. He does peace and creates evil. Those are like four, three verbs in four places. Yes, these three verbs are very significant. Now, when it comes to creation, there, well, there are many stages, but let's let's work with this system. We can look at it in terms of three stages. There's what's called Bria, Yitzira, and Asiya. 
Bria means creation, Yitzira is formation, and Asiya is the doing, or the making. Bria has the implication that before this stage, nothing existed. There was not even any essence. So if anything that we could create here within this world, we're not truly creating because the, the source material is always there. We, we have to start with something mm. and then form it. Right. But matter cannot be created or destroyed. Exactly. But God can. Right. So God creates things. That's Bria is bringing something into existence from nothingness. That's Bria. The next stage is Yitzira because in the previous stage, now there is just substance but it has no definition. It's completely undefined, and therefore it wouldn't even show up in this world at all because there needs to be some sort of form. I mean, even a lump of clay has a defined form. Yeah. So Yitzira is the formation, but formation is still very theoretical because it doesn't, it hasn't yet manifested. It's just a potential definition. It's a structure. It's a class, an organization of a concept. The next stage is Asiya, and Asiya is where things actually manifest. You have this potential structure which could exist, and now it's being brought into existence. So that's the Asiya. So there's Bria, Yitzira, Asiya, creation, formation, and making. So with that in mind, let's revisit this verse. Yotzer or he forms light. Forming light has the implication that the light already exists. It's just now being structured. And again, light is this perception of God. But look at this next part. Yotzer or he forms light, uvore choshech, and he creates darkness. Okay. That's, so the light exists inherently as a, a, a component of God, and the darkness has to be created? So let's be careful here. Everything, including light, is a creation. Okay. But, with, but yes, that after that... There is, after the world exists within the system that was created, we could say that light is somewhat more inherent All right. than darkness. So there, there, it's part of the system. There is light that's being formed, but the darkness is purely artificial. Hmm. We think about it like this. With the absence of light, we think that's just nothing. And you close your eyes and you're in a completely black room. You go to a sensory deprivation chamber. What do you see? It's blackness. And we tend to think of blackness as nothing. Right? If you take a picture of the sky and just remove all the stars, it's just, uh, that's nothing. But it's not nothing. Nothing is imperceptible. There's, it wouldn't look black. What blackness is, what darkness is, is it's a creation to represent the absence of light. That's, I've, I've never before thought about the concept that that nothing wouldn't look like blackness. But you're right, it, it, it wouldn't. It's a bit of a mind-boggling concept. And in fact, there is a Jewish meditation to meditate on nothingness. And it's, uh, it's dangerous. It's not recommended if you're not skilled in this area. But right, n nothingness does not look black. It doesn't look like anything. It's complete lack of existence. Hmm. And so therefore, that, but that can't show up by definition, right? Because there's nothing to show up. So what we do perceive by default is an artificial fabrication, a construct that's meant to represent absence. So that's true of darkness in this world. 
and it's true of evil as well. Ose Shalom, he makes, right, that final one, he makes peace, arranges the world in a harmonious way. Uvore Ra, but creates artificially evil to represent the lack of peace of Shalom. The Inyan Hashorish Azeh. Now, this, this principle, who klal koichas shainim, this includes many different powers as well, powers of evil. Koichas ara. Yishtau shalim hemen yonei hachisorin v'haroiz kulim b'chol b'chinoiseyem. From those powers that have been artificially created, that extends down into this world. Bein mashinagei l'nefesh, bein mashinagei l'guf, whether that affects the spirit of a person, the nefesh, or the body, bodily sickness, any kind of dysfunction that exists in this world, it's all a result of these forces of evil that are artificial. Now, I'm saying artificial. It doesn't mean that it doesn't exist at all, because from within this world, which is where we live, we do operate here, it does exist. It really does show up here. And we're not allowed to just ignore it and say, well, it's not really real. And we, we have to acknowledge it and, and uh, deal with it. And that's the purpose for our life is to be able to overcome it. So we can't just pretend like it doesn't exist at all. But we know the truth is that it has no inherent source. It's only the absence of God. It's only a representation of the absence of God. We're going to speak more about this in the second section of the book. These forces of evil. They operate or don't operate either entirely or partially, all in accordance with a prevention, a concealment of the light of Hashem or the concealment of his countenance, Hester Panov. He kafishior hahelam according to the concealment, kach vishior zeti nosin shlitu umemshala el klal koichasa ela ela chalakimimenoshif alu. In accordance with that concealment is the degree to which how much power is given to these forces, these powers, to to operate. Vihine, vihis gaber hakoichasa elu umashlam, when these powers are strengthened and reinforced, then consequently the power of good is diminished. It's because it's just concealed. Mm. And therefore those channels of good which should be facilitating light consequently become damaged. And, and those, those channels that they facilitate those become weakened, and that shows up down here as well. But when these forces of evil, these powers of evil, are subjugated, and their authority is taken from them, and they no longer have an effect, then by default, then good will reign. And the root forces of everything will become rectified, and the state of good will be restored. Everything that we've mentioned now in the topic of good and evil, 
Vachomer, and the war between the intellectual and the physical, v'chol inyani tikun v'kilkol, and all matters of repair and destruction, sharish kol inyanim kulam, the root of all of these topics, heim hisgabrus ha'koychus ha'ela, it is the reinforcement of these powers, these artificial powers of evil, v'hagia inyanim v'todoseihem banivroim, and what their effect is, in what shows up down here, either in the forces above or what shows up down here, or conversely, their subjugation and the nullification of their effect, and therefore those results would show up down here as well. Number nine. There are many different levels for these. There are many different ways that evil can manifest. And some of these terms that you might hear later on, Tuma, we call spiritual impurity, or Choshech, which is darkness, which is another word for impurity. It's hard to translate these into English when there's not really a precedent for it in, in our culture. Eichol is another word which means uh, secular, in similar terms, those are all results of these potentials, these powers of ra, of evil. And what is resultant from the revelation of God's presence, nikra kedusha v'tahara, is called holiness and purity, or light, ubracha, and blessing, and similar. But in the investigation of the details of these things, we'll have to go through in detail all of these categories. That it's these principles, these are the building blocks that Hashem uses to interact with the world. So we've now built a framework where we can start discussing how Hashem runs the world. Lastly, number 10, with all of these topics, again, there are what we would call angels that are appointed over all of these actions that bring all of these potential forces into the physical reality, whether it be for the good or the opposite. All of these are servants or agents of God. This is Hashem's will that He arranged the world. Hashem's will is that these spiritual creatures, these angels, are the ones that are carrying all of these out to fruition. It's interesting that he's phrasing it like this. It seems to imply that Hashem could have done it himself. And he's, he's just saying this is what Hashem wanted. Hashem wanted to create a system that there is a spiritual entity that's facilitating these things. And that's his final note in section one. And we'll begin section two in our next podcast. I can't wait to see where we go from here. Thanks, Rabbi.